the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 3, it is a delight to welcome back to the show my dear friend and uh, one of my bosses, really, Ryan Williams. He is the president of the Claremont Institute. He is the publisher of the Claremont Review of Books, where I am privileged to be a fellow. Ryan, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Happy to be back, Seth. Yeah, it's great to have you back, and it was great to see um, you and so many of our friends um, and colleagues <laughs> get uh, the highlight <laughs> treatment in the New York Times this weekend. Uh, they did a big spread. Uh, I don't know, crediting or blaming the Claremont Institute? I'm not sure how, <laughs> how we'd put it. Uh, but as you put it on uh, Twitter X, I call it Twix, just to make it simpler. Perfect. Can yeah. you do? Can you help me get that out? Can we make that a thing? Twix. It's Twix. Twi- yeah. It's a portmanteau, yeah. and it just it's it saves the whole nonsense of just, X, formerly known as Twitter, that we keep reading about, and just the Twix. only drawback that it puts me in mind of nougat and caramel and a little bit of chocolate. The only candy with the cookie crunch. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's not a problem, is it? Is that problematic? <laughs> No, I think it's an, a value add. Actually. Yeah, it's a value added Twix. As you put on Twix, Mr. Williams, we're taking flack because we're over the target. You can have constitutionalism and self-government, or you can have our civil rights regime, in quotes, which is hostile to the equal protection of the laws. What was the New York Times trying to get at, and what are you responding with here? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, the... <laughs> sort of a running internal joke at the Claremont Institute and amongst friends, which is, um, you know, every time a major media outlet does a hit piece on it, I raise money off of it. Yeah, I and bet it, you <laughs> do. I bet you do. More, faster and more, please. Yes. Yeah. So we'd, we'd gotten wind from Nick Confessori, the reporter, because he reached out to us, of course, that something like this is running. And months and months ago, we'd learned that the New York Times is doing a lot of Freedom of Information Act requests around snooping around trying to find stuff. So, you know, one of our colleagues, Scott Yenner, has, um, has an email at Boise State. Uh, a few other third parties uh, that we collaborate with on some of this stuff have a public institution email. Uh-huh. So I think that's that's how they got. Oh, in, yeah, because so they can speak. do a FOIA yeah. on a public state endowed institution. Yeah, so yeah. I, I would just general advice to the conservative movement writ large. Uh, keep that in mind and <laughs> tighten up your operational security. We, <laughs> we certainly are. Harden uh, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for anyone who's wondering, you know, private corporations like the Claremont Institute, nonprofits included, are not subject to FOIA, but right. everyone should be mindful of that. Good lesson. And uh, not that we really have anything to hide. I anything. saw nothing that was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, some flippant banter and emails about uh, politically incorrect, incorrect topics, maybe. But um, well, I mean, no, if you were to look at the yeah. emails of the person who wrote this article, what was what was the who what, who wrote the article? It was Nick, uh, Nick Confessori. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> if we got his emails, I'm sure it would be a little embarrassing to him too. Yeah, internal emails are not national news. I don't think they should be. But right. uh, they thought they had a big gotcha. Right. But what they really, the substance of the piece was that the Claremont Institute is at the center of this push to abolish diversity, equity, and inclusion 
uh, curriculum and administration from uh, K through 12 education, as well as higher education across the states. And I just wanted to explain to folks who weren't didn't who don't follow this sort of thing. You said we uh, my my Twix was about the, <laughs> the the we need to dismantle this quote unquote civil rights regime. Mm-hmm. And what I I just want to explain what I mean by that. Yeah. You know, the, the 1964 Civil Rights Act was meant to be the final fulfillment of the Declaration of Independence's promise right. of a colorblind constitutionalism. You know, post Jim, get rid of Jim Crow, start judging people as individuals and on merit rather than on their group identity or race uh, or sex for that matter. Right. And instead, what we got very quickly was through the courts and through the administrative agencies, uh, and it's only gotten more and more aggressive in the, the last five or six years or so, is we just traded one discrimination regime for another. And the new discrimination regime is uh, the favoring or disfavoring of certain groups uh, along the lines of whether they are former oppressors or oppressed. Mm -hmm. And everyone can predict how that breaks down racially, et cetera. So that's what we're dealing with. I mean, it's in contract, federal contracting, it's in hiring, it's, you know, ensconced at every HR department at fortune 500 companies. It's at all the schools, the, the bureaucracy that attends to the promotion of, quote unquote, diversity at institutions of higher education has exploded over the last 20 years. And it all has been accelerated in our kind of post-George Floyd moment. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what, you know, we need to get back to the equal protection of the laws. We cannot have government entities, either at the state or federal level, uh, picking winners and losers based on skin color. And that's, that's what's going on right now across most of our major institutions. That's what we stand against. Yeah, and and Claremont has been good and upfront on this for a long time. You and I, boy, we had an interview four or five years ago when you were doing a multiculturalism versus America. It's kind of a kissing cousin yeah. of multiculturalism, isn't it? Yeah. It's a related yeah. field or the other. It, how would you describe multiculturalism and DEI's relationship? A new term for an old policy or how would you? Think? Yeah, it's, it's uh, something similar under a, under a different term. I yeah. mean, multiculturalism, the ism is what we were against, yeah. the ideology That's of right. it. And it's very basically indistinguishable right. from diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, yeah. we, we got a, not you and I, but a, a lot of the country got a bit of an education. I mean, we've been talking about DEI for a long time, diversity, equity, and inclusion for a long time. But, you know, that tends to operate at um, human, um, human resources and corporations and maybe 50,000 feet or 30,000 feet in the academic spheres. But a lot of the country kind of got a, a grasp of it or a glimpse, that's the word I want, a glimpse of it with the Claudine Gay um, controversy at Harvard, right? I I mean, I think so. I think that was an insight into what we're doing here. And uh, we're using it. There's so many elements of this, but we're using it not only to privilege and benefit, as you put it, formerly oppressed populations, but we're also using it as a way to inoculate if they fit into a certain category, the judgments that everyone else has to play by, the, the rules everyone else has to play by, too, right? It's also a get-out-of-something-free yeah. card, isn't it? Get out of plagiarism, right. get out of jail, get out of whatever you want. Yeah, it's, um, you know, Cla- Claudine Gay. A double have... standard, if you will. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. No, and, and, and Claudine Gay, you know, uh, whatever else you want to say about her, her academic record is pretty unimpressive. Right. She's got, she hasn't published much in 
over 10 years. Never I mean, for the standards no. of ac- academia. I mean, yeah. she is president of Harvard Harvard College. Right. I mean, or Harvard, whatever it is, University, University or College. Yeah, right. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Who cares Harvard, at this I point? Mean, <laughs> if you just, I encourage everyone to go look at the past presidents of Harvard. Yeah. Just pick, pick like two of them from, say, one from the early 20th century and one from like the middle of the 20th century. Or even uh, her predecessor. Will, even her predecessor. Yeah, right. Right. Of yeah, course. Right. Of course. So she's an undistinguished academic. She has no business being president of Harvard. Um, and everyone knows it. I mean, anyone who's willing to see these things for what they are. And she might have made it, but for, I think, um, you know, people like Bill Ackman, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's been a, a yep. warrior on Twitter, you know, hedge fund guy, mm-hmm. an alum of the school. And, you know, people need to figure out what all this is about. And he did. I mean, Ackman reports that he you know, spent whatever, a few days figuring all this out. Read Chris Rufo's book, has praised it on, on Twitter mm-hmm. or on X, mm-hmm. on Twix. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Seth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he has been pretty eloquent. Uh, debunker of what this is. And I should add to this New York Times piece that you mentioned, which was, yep. uh, I, I'm very proud of the fact that it was on, in the Sunday Times yep. above the fold. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, we're, we're proud of that. But if you look at the comments, Anne, Alt- uh, Anne Althaus pointed this out on her blog. Um, I mean, the top four comments are all uh, hostile to DEI and, yes. and are somewhat. Um, uh, uh, just critical of Confessori for how he reported the whole thing. Freddie DeBoer, you know, no, no right winger at all in his Substack said, you know, I kept wanting to read this and I kept wanting to see the gotcha email where one of them says, yeah, we paid off that legislator and now we're getting our anti-DEI stuff. But he's like, there's nothing there. Yep. And Confessori is just completely unserious. He assumes that all of his audience knows that DEI is righteous and good and just, and he doesn't have to explain why anyone would be critical of it. In fact, half the article is sort of pointing at us and saying, look, their anti-diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, isn't that evil. I mean, he doesn't quite put it that way, but that's the, the, that's the conclusion you're supposed to draw. And I think a lot, more the, a lot more of the country, especially elites, and all I mean by that is people who have influence and are sort of high-information voting types and pay attention to all this stuff uh, on top of all their other, other obligations, they're beginning to pay attention. And a lot of them on the, the center left or even in the sort of middle uh, don't like it. And uh, a I lot. should say super majority of Americans don't really like it either. Yeah, there's, a, it there's a lot. Can, yeah. Let me take a commercial. I can keep you for a couple few seconds, yeah. right? Now, let me. There's so many elements to this. Ryan Williams is my guest. He and I will be right back. He's the president of the Claremont Institute, publisher of the Claremont Review of Books, Claremont.org, C-L-A-R-E-M-O-N-T. He and I will be right back. Times are a-changing, right? That's the Simon and Garfunkel version. Well done, young David. Ryan P. Williams is my guest. He is the president of the Claremont Institute, publisher of the Claremont Review of Books. We're talking about uh, the big article in the New York Times on uh, Claremont's role in uh, trying to uh, upset, overturn, reverse the DEI, um, the diversity, equity, inclusion regime, academia, and so much else lives under and um, Ryan, as we, I was saying to you before, there uh, you were saying there's so many elements to this. I want to I want to come back to civil rights as you put it in quotes in a moment. But you said something in the previous segment I wanted to talk about too, because ultimately this is going to lead to so many different kinds of double and triple standards and so much pretzel logic. You had said that the focus on DEI is to benefit privilege what elevate formerly oppressed people especially 
looking at everyone through an oppressor or oppressed kind of lens. Yeah. And it's it's interesting to me because that's kind of where Claudine Gay at Harvard, if I can use her, continue to use her as a as a as a what t- uh, example benchmark of this, uh, a totem of this, you know. <laughs> DEI, multiculturalism, racial preferences, race-based affirmative action, there are a few oppressed groups that somehow don't get counted in there. Uh, You're in California. No one needs to tell anyone in California what Asians had to go through or, um, you know, uh, someone with the last name of Liebson doesn't have to do – or maybe we do. Maybe we do have to talk about what it means to be. I, I regret to inform you, Seth, that you are now white. I uh, guess that's the memo. Well, you know what? So I have a friend, Ryan. No, 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 no. That's so right. I have a friend who was on a conference call on a getting to know you teams meeting on a new project. And they all have yeah. to go around. And his name is like my last name, except his um, aunts all have tattoos and his mother um lost her father in Auschwitz and they all have to go around and say their names and someone said to him someone literally said to him on this getting to you know you meeting he goes well I just would hope so-and-so would explain to the rest of the group what it means for him to be the only one here with white privilege (laughs) yeah right 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 but how many times a day do you think this kind of stuff goes on but yeah. they knew nothing about this guy other than his skin color, I suppose. And I'm going to bet that the guy who said that didn't have aunts and uncles with tattoos on their arms and a lost grandfather to Auschwitz. Privilege. Right. Privilege, right? This is what yeah. this does. Well, that's just harder and privilege, Seth, you know? I guess so. I guess so. I guess so. The dark 1930s and 40s. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, it's... it's um, we should. Uh, you mentioned Asians. Yeah. Um, of, of course, they were the subject or the one of the main players in the affirmative action yep. cases with Harvard and right. North Carolina. Right. Um, but but I think I think <clears throat> we should call this what it is in most of its application. And you hinted at it. Uh, modern civil rights law is more than anything else anti-white. Right. right. Now they have always you know they justify it in so many ways. The, you know the whites were oppressed for so long. They were responsible for Jim Crow, slavery before that. They have reasons for why that's the case. But we should not, I think, be uh, shy about saying that. And I think, you know, and I think the most Americans don't like racial preferences of any kind. And so we should we should just call it for what it is. And uh, it's especially effective because it drives the left crazy. Um, And they'll say absurd things like, you know, if you're, um, you know, that persons of color and formerly oppressed people by definition cannot be racist, but whites can things like that. So it's good to, to uh, flush them out. And it takes away a form of um, individualism, achievement, the measurement of a brain. There was a Bill Maher panel the other day. Andrew Sullivan, who's right sometimes, uh, was debating some guy from MSNBC, an attorney from MSNBC. Maybe you saw it. And the attorney from MSNBC was talking about the need for these kinds of programs and how few women were CEOs at certain corporations and how few African-Americans or blacks were CEOs. And he said to Andrew Sullivan, this proves, you know, and he did the numbers over the period of decades. And, you know, and, and Andrew Sullivan said, forgive me for saying I really don't care. I wanted to hug him. I wanted to reach through the TV and hug him. What happened to that? <laughs> what, right? Yeah. That that point of view. Yeah. Why should we care that that? I mean, 
that's really the, that was the point of original civil rights that you were talking about without quotation right. marks around them, wasn't it? Yes, and and it's been perverted into. Um, I mean, the spirit of modern civil rights law, the legal term for it is disparate impact, but yep. it, it can be seen in Ibram Kendi's, you right. know, sophomoric writings, et cetera, which is to say, unless every boardroom in America reflects the population distribution of every group, that is to say, 13% of every boardroom in America needs to be black, right. 13% of every freshman class at any school, anywhere, any level, elite or mundane needs to be black. Or take your pick, you know, LGBTQ, yep. you know, you can divide it up endlessly. Yep. Yep. Unless those percentages are the same everywhere and match the population, there is some sort of systemic injustice going on, That's racism, right. sexism, or whatever. And it's just, it's it's absurd. It flies in the face of all known facts of, of human achievement and human sociobiology uh, and, and human culture, um, human history. I mean, I think our lodestar should be you know, Madison and Hamilton and the Federalist, which is to say the diversity of faculties and men is, is the the protection of the fruits won from the diversity of faculties and people is one of the first objects of government. And that means across groups and across individuals, you're just not going to see a predictable distribution. Michael, um, Michael yeah. Walsh, I think it is, has this phrase about the left. They never sleep. They never rest. They never stop. Yeah. And we're now going to see this with airline pilots, evidently. This is where it's yeah. going to go. I mean, at a certain point, they may want to pump the brakes here before they ruin themselves. <laughs> but that percent point, that disparate impact percent point you make is also interesting because kind of yes, I think you'll agree with me on this, kind of yes, you have to have the right skin color. You have to have the right whatever uh, attribute. But you have to have a certain way of thinking, too. So, for example, the search for Harvard and finding a woman of color would never have included, once upon a time, uh, a Condi Rice, let us say. Uh, Or our our Janice Rogers. Or Bill Allen. Bill Allen's daughter. Bill Allen's daughter tried. Right, right. With a lot more academic accomplishment, by the way. Much more, much more. Yeah. So it also carries with it not just the right, so to speak, race. But it has to have the right thinking, too. It's a heavily anti—I mean, that's what it is at base. It's anti and it's contra-intellectual at the same time. Yeah, and you see the mask slips. Uh, You know, liberals can be anti-black, but only if the black is a conservative. That's right. Clarence Clarence Thomas's whole career. And Biden's great quote from the— 2020 yep. campaign, that's right? right. If, if you're not voting for me, you ain't black. That's that's uh, right. Telling perfect. a black person that who was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me take another commercial break. We'll be right back with Ryan Williams, who's going to start using the Twix uh, phraseology portmanteau. It's just so much easier than saying I X'd something. Doesn't, what does that mean? Or did you read my X? Could be a wife, it could be a spouse, a husband, a girlfriend, a boyfriend. Twix makes it so much easier. I'm making everyone's life better here. Ryan Williams, is, Ryan Williams and I will be right back. Coming to you from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. I am Seth Liebson. Ryan Williams, president of the Claremont Institute, is my guest, C-L-A-R-E-M-O-N-T dot org. No I in Claremont. Uh, Ryan, um, we have several various angles here. We played out over the last year a fight with Arizona State University. Um, 
Dennis Prager was invited to speak at ASU, and 39 professors denounced him as a white nationalist. A white nationalist. Now, Ibrahim Kendi comes, Angela Davis presents at ASU, nary a peep. Nothing nothing to be said about someone who was responsible for the killing of a judge and policeman and on the FBI most wanted list. Nothing about Ibrahim Kendi, who sounds like George Wallace in reverse when he talks about uh, discrimination uh, yesterday forever, now and forever is the remedy. But Dennis Prager, and, and that's this weird thing that it does, too. It, it by dint of this man who wrote the book on anti-Semitism and served on the Holocaust Museum is a white nationalist. It's so anti-intellectual that it's almost laughable, except it isn't, because it, it, it leads to an intimidation of students, too. Students can't yeah. students can't 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 challenge their professors. I mean, it, it's very difficult in these situations to do this. And it just turns off a whole range of thinking once you label someone merely because of their skin color, right? Or their or their political beliefs, which are standard political beliefs on the spectrum of right left. I think. Well, look, I you know if, if Dennis Prager were actually a white nationalist, it's fine to call him that, but it's so absurd, right? Uh, no, I think you know, or you know, I, I'm against black nationalism too. For you that bet. matter, you bet. with all of its you bet. with all of its baggage from the last forty years. You bet. Um, yeah, I. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, what's the remedy for all this? I mean, you see some signs in the the generation in the Zoomers, yep. Gen Z, and then their younger cohort that they kind of think this is all just absurd and they laugh at all of it, which is good. Uh, I hope that continues, and uh, that should be our response too. I mean, we should; those of us in a position to do it should explain its weaponization and its absurdity and and help equip people to deflect it. But I think if we get to the point where, you know that sort of epithet thrown in a public setting is kind of laughed at by the person it's thrown at, and then it gets half the crowd to, to chortle along. I think we'll, we'll have done lots of good work. I'd like to think you're right. I hope yeah. you, I hope you are right. I, I hope you are right. I, that, that, that the zoomers are, are looking at this and laughing at this. Um, but it does raise an interesting thing about education that was published in that New York times piece that we're talking about. Um, and it, I guess, comes from a communication of our mutual friend, Mr. Klingenstein, that um, had to do with ridding educations uh, of its non uh, making education non-political. And he said something that I loved. I absolutely love it. All education is political. And, yeah. and I think we need to lead with that. I don't think we need to be shy about that. I don't think we need to retreat from that. I think, my gosh, I mean, I... I, I, he's absolutely right. What are we putting in these kids' brains? Yeah. Though the left certainly thinks education is yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And they're right. Yeah. They're right. I mean, you know, you're teaching this. Uh, this came up recently because the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education um, gave Hillsdale a kind of warning uh, label for its, uh, you know, campus freedom. And they're, they're, look, FIRE does a lot of good work. They're sort of libertarian organization. So I don't mean to run them down too much, but they're mis- they got into an argument in the oh. Wall Street Journal with Larry Arn about this. I think they're and wrong. It, yeah, of course they are. Yeah, no, and th- and they say you know for them, campus is a neutral place for speech. Uh, that all speech should be welcome, and you and you need to do, give maximum freedom. But that's not true. You're teaching kids about the good, uh, and also about the good of their country and their their ability to participate in civic life, and so you have to make value judgments often and frequently in those settings. And you have to 
say this this thinker is pernicious and bad, although we should understand him, uh, and this one is less bad, and this one is great. I mean, this is that's what education is. Yeah. Um, now, it's not to say you, you want your schools to be propaganda arms of, of your no. ruling co- regime. Of course not. No. And there's plenty of science that, you know, should be more or less conducted unhindered, uh, except for cer- certain guardrails. And the pursuit of truth is very important. But it, it does take a balance. And you have to, especially um, in high school and college, you're preparing children to be good citizens, among other things. And good and thinkers, means, right? I mean, and yes. and the ability to think. Let me take. Can I keep you one more segment? This was a short one. Can I have you one more? Yeah, segment? I've got one more. You sure. got it. Great, because I want to pick up on that very crucial point. Ryan Williams is my guest, president of the Claremont Institute, publisher of the Claremont Review of Books, and he and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I want to thank Ryan Williams, uh, president of the Claremont Institute, who's been my guest uh, this hour. Ryan, that education point and education as political and the clash of ideas. I mean, I think you and I both benefited in our undergraduate and graduate studies by seeing great debates on major issues. Uh, it's some of the best way to teach. Um if it needs if it needs any kind of of example of of what scare, what should scare what should frighten was it stanford university law school where they had a federal judge i think from the 5th circuit yeah. okay yeah judge duncan that's yeah. it so it was stanford law school brings in maybe the federalist society brought in a, yeah. a, 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 what would be called a conservative judge and the students and the dean couldn't, or one of the deans couldn't have it. And it made me wonder, okay, I get it. <laughs> we've lived with this in grad school. We've lived with it in undergrad. But in law school, are we training these students, are we training future lawyers to walk into a courtroom and never hear the other side? I mean, is that yes. what this is coming down to? They should not assume that there's anyone on the other side of the V in State versus Jones or Williams versus Liebson? Yeah, it's gotten very bad. Um, one of the leading indicators of it is this um, Project 65 or whatever it is, this left-wing project to to basically make permanently unemployable any lawyer who helped Trump challenge the 2020 election results, including our friend John Eastman. Yeah. I mean, punishing advocates, and that, that was... I've, I've talked to some federal judges about this, and this is, it, it's, a, it's a recent trend, generally speaking. The project was sort of the latest, worst iteration of it. But this has been happening, censuring lawyers. Nobody's been disbarred yet, but censuring lawyers for, for taking on uh, politically hot clients and topics. That is very, very bad development. You have a big um, law firm, let us say, yeah. that has some good lawyers that could theoretically represent you if you got in trouble or me if I got in trouble, but they have a bigger client. They have a corporation yeah. or a moneyed liberal, lefty, whatever, and that client who may be on a retainer with that firm at God knows how many bucks a mm-hmm. year simply says, oh, no, you don't represent them, right? Yep. Yep. And it makes our political fights asymmetrical. Because, right. You know, if John Eastman were on the other side and had represented Trump, I just bring him up because we've thought a lot about it and, and know John well. And uh, he's being persecuted for his representation of Trump. If, if the shoe was on the other foot and Biden had lost and had litigated vehemently in a close election, 
he would have had all the white shoe law firms. Pro bono. Pro bono. Pro bono. Pro bono. Yeah. Meanwhile, our friend John has spent $700,000 that he's had to raise on his legal Unbelievable. Just just in his disbarment trial and the sort of two, you know, the two criminal proceedings in D.C. and Georgia. It's, It's outrageous. Unbelievable. Um. Tell the audience in our few minutes remaining a little bit about the Claremont Institute, what it does. It's not it's not known to everyone yet, um, but it's gotten more and more well known. And your leadership has been tremendous. Uh, thank you for letting me affiliate, by the way, um, to, to talk about just briefly, if you want a couple moments. I always like the origin story or, or, or yeah. whatever you want. Sure. Thanks, Seth. And to the to Seth's diehard listeners, it's probably the fourth time you've heard this. So forgive me. Um, yeah, we, we were founded in the last year of the Carter administration, 1979, by some grad students who had in common this great teacher, Harry Jaffa, as a scholar of America, of American conservatism, and really the revive, the reviver of a serious study of Abraham Lincoln. And uh, they decided they didn't want to go into academia. They were all grad students of his. Uh, they wanted to try to save their country, so they founded the Institute. And we've been teaching, writing, and litigating, and advising on policy ever since. Um, The core of what we do is we teach uh, either through our publications or through our many summer fellowships where we give a variety of audiences, usually 14 fellows at any given fellowship. They might be just out of college going into media, public policy, um, think tank world, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mid-career is our Lincoln Fellowship. The younger one is the Poobies Fellowship. John Marshall Fellowship is for lawyers headed to federal clerkships because they'll then become judges, law professors, administration lawyers, etc., we have a new fellowship for sheriffs that's about three years old, uh, and we have one for speechwriters as well. And all of them are the same. The curriculum's tailored to the audience, of course. Uh, you're not going to assign Aristotle to most sheriffs, uh, but you can certainly talk about the Declaration of the Right to Property and Slavery Crisis and all the rest. They're all crash courses in how to understand American politics, uh, how to understand founding princi- principles, constitutionalism, and then how to understand where we are today and how to apply those principles to, re- to safeguard America and save the American way of life. Uh, and then we published the Claremont Review books, which you're listening, many of your listeners know, online publication, The American Mind. Uh, our biggest new venture in the last three years or so has been a Washington, D.C. office yeah, called man. the Center for the American Way of Life, yep. where we advise, we advise uh, lawmakers across the states on diversity, equity, inclusion, education policy, and other stuff, but also in Washington, not on the 17 things that the, the 17, you know, uh, top-line items of the federal budget like a normal policy shop, <laughs> but the three or four things that we think will bring down the country and destroy America, namely identity politics uh, and sort of radical left-wing ideology, the importance of citizenship, sovereignty, and the immigration question, uh, and what to do, uh, how to conduct a, a sensible foreign policy uh, and a realistic foreign policy, and especially what to do about uh, the rise of China and the threat of big tech domestically uh, in its uh, constraint of political discourse. So Good. that's but we're at, at our core. We're scholars and we're teachers. We had we've had one foot in the academic world and one foot in the political and policy world our whole existence. Fantastic. Well done. Yeah. I just saw my new favorite picture. Someone drove by and took a sign at a like a, one of those gas station type signs it says, has anyone tried unplugging the United States and plugging it back in? <laughs> <laughs> That's my new favorite thing. That's the Claremont Institute in a way, too, isn't it? <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Ryan, for everything, Ryan Williams. Appreciate your time, your brain, your leadership, and your friendship.
Thanks, Seth. This is great, as always. All right, brother. Be good. I am Seth Liebson, and we'll be back with a final thought. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Thanks for spending some of your day with us. Portions brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. Heck of a great investment opportunity they have for you in a secure and collateralized portfolio that really invests you uh, with uh, flexibility and control. There are absolutely no fees. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. Of course, you get a monthly statement with no surprises. And there is no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return. That's right, 10.25% fixed rate of return, not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. Yeah, the Claremont Institute started off a ginger little think tank in Claremont, California in 1979. Uh, one of the founders was Larry Arn, uh, under the work of Harry Jaffa. And boy, look at what uh, they have uh, been able to do over the years. Many of their alumni include the likes of some of your favorite folks like Mark Levin and Laura Ingram. Uh, you know, I, I credit the works of Harry Jaffa for my entire career. Now, he was a student, I'll close the show on this, who... Um, among other things, is well known for writing that famous line of Barry Goldwater's, extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice, moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue, Uh, but really undertook the serious study of Lincoln and Aristotle and how it could be applied to modern politics, modern thought. And he was the student of a very famous political philosopher named Leo Strauss, who taught Alan Bloom, Closing of the American Mind, and a bunch of other great scholars. So I'll close the show with a great quote of Leo Strauss's that I like very, very much. The reading of the morning prayer has been replaced by the reading of the morning paper. Not every day the same thing, the same reminder of man's absolute duty and exalted destiny, but every day something new with no reminder of duty and exalted destiny specialization, knowing more and more about less and less, the practical impossibility of concentration upon the very few essential things upon which man's wholeness entirely depends, the specialization compensated by sham universality, by the stimulation of all kinds of interests and curiosities without true passion, the danger of universal philistinism and creeping conformism. Wrote that in the 50s. Damn prescient. Folks, thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. David, thank you for everything. Mr. Bill, thank you for everything. And on behalf of myself and the rest of the crew here, God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.